Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Kenny Grono of Buckminster Green, and they are based in Philly. And today we talk about how Kenny made the transition from teaching high school physics to now running a design-build remodeling company. Now for my conversation with Kenny Grono. Hey, Kenny, welcome to the show. Hi, Spencer. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you here. Yeah, give us some background. Who are you? What's the company and where are you located? So my name's Kenny Grono, and my company that I founded with my wife, Bronwyn, is Buckminster Green. We're located in Philadelphia. Right on. And we're a a design-build remodeler here. Okay. Yeah, and you said you you found it with your wife. When when was that? So she she recently did a timeline and showed me because my memory's not quite as good. So so I had a sense about how old the company was, but she reminded me that we were driving to Asheville, North Carolina when the idea for the company first came up. And that was 2004, 2005. You know, we filed the paperwork and and the name. And, and so that was the real start. Yeah. So you said you were on a drive when you had the idea. What, what was the idea? Was it just, hey, let's start a design build company? Or was it more like, let's get into construction or why this among you know a million other things that maybe would have popped into your head? Sure. So no, it didn't come out fully formed as let's start a design build remodeling firm because uh, I don't even think those words would have been in our head. But we, you know, to back up a little bit, we were both coming from from different places in terms of work. Uh, I was teaching physics at the time, and she was uh, she worked as a reporter and uh, she uh, worked in online sales. Because I was teaching, I had summers off. Mm. And so we had started flipping houses. I, I had some background in that that I had that I'd started with my dad. And so I had you know some of the skills to do that. And we were doing that in the summer. So we would flip about one house a year. And the reason it turned into Buckminster Green is because we were getting interested in green building, sustainable practices, even some of the design ideas we wanted to do, it felt like this doesn't really make sense to do in a flip situation. Yeah. You know, this is early 2000s and you know, people weren't as aware of that stuff. And so it just didn't feel like you could sell it. So we thought, let's find the people that care about what we want to do and let's sell to them. And so I think that was really the impetus. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So that was really the the driving force was kind of a green angle to what you were wanting to do and kind of pushing into that category? Is that like how you positioned the company when you first launched That's it? definitely how we started. You know, mm-hmm. that's what we thought our niche was going to be. Yeah. You know, and it's right in the name. Uh, what we learned over time was that what people really liked about what we did 
was the design part of it. Mm. And there was a lot of, yeah, sure, you'll do all the green stuff, right? But it wasn't like they weren't on board with it, but that was didn't feel like why they were coming to us. And so it's still kind of like that. We do it. it. A lot of it's automatic and, and you don't even get a choice because it's just what we believe in. But the, the design is really the driver now. Interesting. I'm curious, when you first started, is that the design, is that something that, that you guys are both passionate about or that you incorporated? Or did you have to pull in a designer and that kind of just became what customers really came to you for? It's definitely something that we're both passionate about. And early on, Bronwyn went back to school and got a degree so that she could be our designer. But we weren't solely design build, right? It's really hard to just launch and get projects and convince people that, that you can do the design, right? So you end up designing some of your smaller projects or where people come to you and they, they don't have a design. But we were still doing a lot of, of architect-driven work. And although we're trying to move to completely design build, even just last year, we still had one project that was an outside designer. So it was, it was a gradual thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm always curious too how how you get your first projects as a company. What was that first year like? Yeah, so 2005, right? We've got the business and and you don't know anything about marketing. You don't know where to get work from. So it's usually word of mouth, friends, family, or or in our case, a lot of it was in our neighborhood. We are in the city. There's a lot of people around. So, you know, you end up talking to people. And we were at a friend's house and some friends of theirs were over. People lived in the neighborhood and they were talking about how they were trying to get this addition built on the front of their house. And they were talking about how crazy expensive it was going to be. And it, it did sound crazy expensive to me. So I said, well, look, we're starting out. We can definitely build that addition for cheaper than that, what that guy said. And, and what basis did I have to say that? I don't know. It just seemed like a lot of money to me. So I was like, <laughs> I think we can yeah. do it for less than that. And, you know, we did, lost money, but we did complete the addition. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the early years in business, there are just so many of those types of moments that looking back on them, they seem silly, but in the time it's like, you know what you know. And so you're just going off of that information. What would you say in the first few years were some of those big kind of aha moments or learning moments where, you know, coming from physics background. I'm sure entrepreneurship was a little bit different. Anything stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely different. I, I didn't start the company because I knew there was a market for what we wanted to do. It was just what I wanted to do. And I didn't start in business because I knew anything about business. I did actually start in business school. I ended up at Villanova. That's where I met Bronwyn. So just outside of Philadelphia. And I didn't know at all what I wanted to do. So I thought, well, I'd like to make money, right? So business school seems like a good place to start. But it was so boring. It, it didn't click with me. It also didn't help that I was working nights at a CVS. And then I would show up at accounting class. And teacher must have been 70 years old. And it was so boring. And I would just put my head down and fall asleep in class. So... I definitely didn't know anything about business. And that's why when I left Villanova and and the only thing I had to fall back on was like my remodeling skills, I started doing that and and realized I don't want to run a business. I, I'm in no position to run a business. So that's when I went to teaching. You know, mm. so so eight years of teaching, 
getting a little older, getting a little more experienced, understanding some things. Still didn't know anything about business, but now, now we're starting a business. We were lucky very early on. Our first hire was a friend of a friend who was, was doing production work. Not remodeling, but, but production work. And they had him traveling a lot. He was starting a family. He didn't like to travel. And then they stopped paying him. And there, there was a long period of time where they're like, okay, we can't pay you right now. So that turned into an opportunity for us. And, and Scott's still with us over 15 years later. He brought a completely different mindset to the company. And, and I didn't even know what the word production was, right? So, so he came and, and that was a real aha moment and probably just like over and over again, unfolding aha moments, the things that, that he could bring to the company. Yeah, that's cool. What about just entrepreneurship, business ownership in general? Anything that has kind of surprised you, things you didn't expect kind of going down that career path versus like the teaching path? You know, I think in teaching, you have some responsibility, right? You're responsible for these kids. And so so it's a grown-up activity, but there's still layers of hierarchy above you, right? When you're an entrepreneur, there's not much above you. Like the responsibility comes from you down. And so just being responsible for people and being responsible to your clients and all the different levels to that legal and financial and uh, all the paperwork. You know, I think those were a lot of the aha moments like, oh, we had to pay that tax or, oh man, we really should have coverage for that. You know, so, mm-hmm. so we don't end up in arbitration again. All of those things. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, husband, wife team, do you see that fairly often in, I think, small business, but especially in construction? How do you guys divide up your roles and responsibilities within the company? Sure. That's something that's evolved as well. You know, early on, maybe like five years in, where I'm wearing all of these hats, we've got Scott as a carpenter. He's now our production manager. But at that time, I was pretending to be a production manager. I didn't know what it was. But, but I know now, looking back, that I was doing it. I was doing sales. I was doing so many different things. And Bronwyn said, you know, it's too much. You've got to figure out what it is you need to do and set limits on it and write it down. So we had a document back then where I had written down... All right, go sees. I can't go on four go sees a week because I'm not going to be able to respond to these people. So that became one of the rules. You go on one go see a week. And she's good at kind of looking, you know, stepping back and looking at the problem. And, and for me, I kind of dive in and, and my hair is on fire. And so she helped me kind of figure out what my roles were, but we were still wearing a lot of hats. You know, she was doing the finances but she was also doing design. We're both making ownership decisions. So as the company grew, one of our first big moves to delegate was when Scott became what we then called project manager. Mm-hmm. Now we have project managers below him and he's a production manager, but, but setting aside that production silo. Bronwyn was still doing design for a while after that. But when my daughter showed up, that was kind of the aha moment. Like, this is too much. We have a kid now and we've got to figure out how to take some off her plate. So that's when we hired our first designer. 
We're now up to two designers and Bronwyn over the last couple of years, she's now fully stepped out of design. So she meets with the designers once a week, but she's moved completely into that kind of controller owner mm-hmm. role. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's fun to look at like how businesses evolve and the different roles you take on. But then the other thing I've noticed is just you go through these seasons in life, you know, you have a kid or, you know, something else happens. And so I feel like oftentimes they force us to look at the business, go, actually, should should we even been doing it this way? Or, you know, it forces you to make some time constraints or apply those pressures and then and then it evolves. And yeah, who knows in another five years it may it rotate back. But kind of like you said, your wife having that ability to kind of like zoom out and look at stuff. I I feel like that's a a good skill to have just kind of like zoom out and go, is is this the right balance with all the other stuff I got going on in my life? Is there something else that I should be passing off? So yeah, cool, cool to hear about that. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you've been enjoying this episode, I'd really appreciate a rating and a review. It definitely makes my day to hear from you individually and it helps us spread the word. All right, now back to the show. I'm curious, what does the company look like today? You said you've got, I think you said it was Scott, production managers and project managers, but yeah, what what does it look like? How is it structured? In the office, there's myself and Bronwyn, Scott. Then we've got our two designers there. And then in the field, we've got three project managers. They're, you know, they're belts on working project managers, and then they each have an assistant carpenter with them. So we've got six in the field. Yeah, that's cool. And what kinds of projects are you guys really focused on or trying to attract? We have always... People talk about the whale projects, right? And then they often sink you. But even from very early on, we've always taken on at least one big project a year, a whole house remodel. And and we've gotten much better at uh, doing those successfully. So our upper end is that real big custom whole house remodel and then you know small project for us might be the one floor of a house like your kitchen mudroom something like that or a couple bathrooms and some built-ins on the second floor something like that uh, all of our floors are two three stories we're working on row houses in Philadelphia so they're attached they're over 100 years old and so it's a little different in that way than a lot of markets where yeah. you can pull up a truck and park and put a dumpster out front. We, you know, we've got some challenges. Yeah, a little more complexity there. How are you guys getting most of your work right now? So that's been a very recent shift for forever. We were really relying on word of mouth and repeat. And even as recent as three, four years ago, that was the majority of our work. But you get to a point, A, where you realize, you know, that's probably not a sustainable path to growth. And also where you realize, I'm just kind of sitting back and letting the projects come to me and and I'm not able to be as selective as I would like to be. So you go through experiences and you say, oh, I, you know, I really, that was not really a great project for us to have taken. But we took it because we weren't being proactive in terms of getting it. So We've made a real push in recent years on SEO, getting that tuned in on the website and and our presence on 
on the internet and, and communicating in different ways. So video and social media and as well as the print, which is kind of Bronwyn. Bronwyn and I love writing and words, but we realized that's not everybody, right? And so you need to to talk to people in different ways. So now we're getting much more from Google and and from the web than we used to. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so it sounds like that plus you probably still get word of mouth referral and, and that sort of thing. As and you I read th- your book. That that was a part of it. You know, oh, you, right and, on. yeah, some of your tips have what are what I've worked into things. So yeah, that's that's kind of been my recent project over the last couple of years is is dialing in that part of the company. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the whole the whole digital landscape is there's a whole bunch of stuff there. But if you can get kind of some of the building blocks right, then it yeah pays a lot of dividends for sure. As you think about your company in the marketplace today, you mentioned like the row houses and kind of this. You guys have the sustainable component, but you really lead with design. What do you feel like makes you unique or kind of sets you guys apart when you're talking to customers and about how you guys can help? You know, I think that what I believe, my, I believe that architect-driven is not the right approach for a certain size project. And I think when you get to that big custom house, that might be the dividing line, right? Where, where the, the level of complexity becomes more than maybe your average design-build company can handle. But what we're trying to put out there is a level of design that people can look at and say, you know, I think that really is equal to what we would get from the top interior designer or architect in our area. So we don't feel like, okay, I get the design build models all in one and we have one person to talk to and that's all great, but, but I really want this cool thing and I don't see anything on their website that's like that. So... So I think to some extent, that's our niche. To the other extent is our narrow focus and saying, we're in Philadelphia, we're in these old houses. We know the materials, the methods, you know, we know the, the tricks to making these houses work because you know, they're, some of them are, they weren't built to have a big modern kitchen. The kitchen mm-hmm. might've been in the basement or it might've just been a wood stove, right? So how do you make that work in, in this day and age? I, I think that's really what we bring to the table. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. All right. So I always ask, there's always like crazy client stories, wacky projects, something. When you're in construction, I know you did you did flips and you've done you've probably done a whole range of stuff. So anything coming to mind that you can share with us? Yeah, I'm ready for that question. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's a ton, right? But one really crazy story popped into my head the other day thinking about this coming up. And so let's go way back. We're about three years into the company. So at this time, I've hired Scott. I've got a carpenter out there. And I didn't mention something even crazier, which is that for the first few years of the company, I kept my teaching job. Oh, wow. So I was still teaching high school and trying to run this company. And I was kind of hedging my bet, right? I didn't know if this would work. So I'd get up at 5 o'clock. I'd go to Home Depot at 6 a.m., go drop off materials at a job, and then go and teach and, and try to step into the hall and, and talk to Scott about whatever the problem was. So that was crazy. We're just past that. But I'm still doing a lot of... Kenny work, right? I'm out there self-performing and doing things that are probably counterproductive to 
actually running a good business. And so this was one of those situations. Opportunity came along and I said, I can do that, make a little money and, and let's do that. So it's in my neighborhood, like a lot of our jobs were. And it's actually my neighbor across the street. So I've lived there for eight years at this point. My neighbors lived there for three years. And uh, so, you know, there's familiarity. And it's a small job. It's like a $2,000 project and it's on a roof deck. So we're up on the third floor and off the third floor is this little fiberglass roof deck. I'm doing some repairs up there and, and I'm the only one working on this job. So I'm up there, I'm working. She comes up at some point, opens the door and tells me, uh, hey, listen, I'm going to head out for a little while. I didn't think anything of it, said, okay, and went back to work. Got to the point where I needed something from the truck. So I go to uh, go back into the house, which is how I got up to this roof deck. And uh, the door is locked. Oh, jeez. So when she said, I'm heading out for a minute, what she meant was, I'm going to lock you on this roof deck. So I called her, didn't get an answer. Thought, well, there's a little more I can do up here. I kept working a little bit. Called her again, no answer. I ended up having to call the guys to go to the shop and get a 40-foot ladder so that I could climb down the outside of this house from, from this roof deck. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, so... So do we, how long would you have been waiting? Do you even know? <laughs> God knows. Oh, man. <laughs> no, l- luckily, I'm, I moved in the neighborhood a couple blocks away. So, so we were no longer near neighbors there after that. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Could've... Did you ever end up talking like, why'd you lock it? Or did she just wasn't thinking about it? Uh, just like... I didn't talk it through. You know, I'm I'm not the most assertive person in the world. And that's something that I've had to learn over time. And now I understand you have to be intentional about communication and you need to ask questions and you need to find out like, okay, well, when are you going to be back? And what else does that mean? You know, and, and <laughs> dig a little deeper. But at that time, you know, I was I was not that person. Yeah, fair enough. Well, what do you think is one of the most fun parts of what you're doing today? What gets you fired up? Do you fish or are you a guy who likes to go fishing? I haven't fished a whole ton. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, the answer is not fishing. It's not that okay. what gets me fired up. Yeah. Is, is you have so much time off. You're fishing. always fishing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not big on fishing either, but my daughter likes to fish. And so I've gotten into it and you know, most of the fishing I've done has been just put some bait on, you throw it out there. You don't know what fish are out there and you don't know what kind of bait they like, but sometimes you catch fish. I feel like that's what our approach to bringing in projects used to be like. You know, you know there's projects out there and you're catching some, so that's all you know. For my daughter's 11th birthday, we took her out on Lake Wallenpawpeck up in the Poconos in Pennsylvania and we got a guide to take us out. And I'd never seen all this equipment, you know, like he's got computers and he's telling us what kind of fish they are, where they are, where to cast. He could even see the bait just went by them. So next time, don't let it drop quite so much, reel it in, bring it through them. And now you've got all this extra information, right? And you're catching fish. What's exciting me now is that we've got our departments at a point where we know how long design is going to take. We've got it scheduled. I can look on a calendar and say, if I don't sign a design agreement this month, then 
four months from now, when the production team has a hole, they're not going to have the work they need. So instead of just like casting whatever bait out there, I've got this information and, and got the equivalent of all those computers and, and sonar and whatever it is that that guide has. And that's what's exciting to me is like, I feel like we're playing the game at a different level. And, and it allows me to be more intentional in what, what I'm doing day to day. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, great analogy too. I mean, not having fished, I can imagine all of those tools would make it a ton easier. It's, it's a whole different game. Yeah. On the flip side, what, what do you think is maybe the biggest challenge in your business right now? What are you guys working to solve? Everything's gotten a lot more expensive recently. You know, I feel like a lot of trades kind of put their heads down during COVID and you just like, I don't even know what's going on, but I'm going to keep working. And all of a sudden, the dust cleared a little bit. They took a deep breath and I think they realized, oh crap, we've got to raise our prices. So we're dealing with job costs that seem higher. And, and then me as the primary salesperson, I'm dealing with selling that to clients. So, so that's been a challenge, you know, overcoming that investment question. You know, like I think we're complicit in this in the industry because we will say, how much are you willing to invest in this? Right. And that that's what a lot of us say instead of what's your budget. Mm-hmm. But if you think about this stuff that we're doing as an investment, it's not a very good investment, right? It's not a good financial investment, at least, or investment in real estate. And so I think we need to be careful to frame it as an investment in your happiness and and an investment in your comfort. Because if the homeowner looks and their house is worth $500,000 and you want to charge them $250 to work on a portion of the house... Well, that, that's not going to be very exciting to them if they're just looking at it from a dollar standpoint. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I feel like most in the design build category, most of the stuff is definitely a blend. And it's like, it's lifestyle, it's choice, you know, and yeah, you want to bake some more equity into the home, but like you're doing it because you want to. So I think I think that's well well said. Where are you guys trying to go over the next few years? You've obviously gone through quite a few changes and evolution. What's on the horizon? You know, in terms of growth right now, we've got a really great team. Best team we've ever had. And I'd like to keep these people. I'd like to offer them opportunities for growth. But at the same time, I don't want to stretch us to the point where we can't leave work at work. We can't go on vacation, you know, and and people are stressed out. So what I'm focused on is trying to dial in our processes, trying to market to find those clients that are going to be the types of projects that we can do successfully so that without growing the number of projects, we can still grow our total sales. So like, what's the, what's the limit on what this group can produce comfortably? That's really what, what my sights are set on. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I I feel like I feel like not enough people think about that as an option, but the like optimization for the level you're at whether that's structure, revenue or how, you know, I think is a really intelligent way to think about, you know, business strategy because there's growth within staying at your current team size, right? You know, like you can 
grow and learn how to be faster, how to dial in all of your schedules more, do same number of projects, but they're all 30% bigger or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, I like that. I like that. Kenny, I appreciate you carving out the time. There's other remodelers listening to this. If you want to leave us with some final words of wisdom or final piece of advice. Yeah. What would that be? So there's this quote, it's a Samuel Beckett quote, and it's kind of from a a play or a poem or whatever it is, sort of like almost a stream of consciousness thing that he wrote. But, But there's a section in it that says, ever tried, ever failed. No matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And so for me, that's what I focus on is we're, we're always going to have something that we can look back on. You do a postmortem on a job and you say, everything went great, right? Like we made the, the profit we wanted to and the customers happy, all these different things that you can look to that are positive. There's always stuff in there that you could consider a fail. So do you just paper over that or do you dig in and say, how do we not fail in that way next time? Is there some information we could have had? Is there something we could have done so that that doesn't happen again? Because I feel those failures, right? And, and I just want everyone to be more comfortable, happier with what we're doing and feel proud of it. And, uh, and so I think to, to, to feel like we don't fail is, is the wrong approach. We've just got to fail better. Yeah, that's awesome. I like it. Well, Kenny, thanks again. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, carving out the time today. I appreciate you having me on. This was fun to talk about. Memory lane. <laughs> yeah, it's always... I've found that, yeah, as business owners, you don't often look back and look at where you started, how far you've come and kind of all, all the gains. So yeah, thanks again. Well, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month, we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.